Welcome to another episode of Simply Sales and Marketing. Today, we have a really special guest. He's someone that I've been following on LinkedIn for a while. He's one of LinkedIn's top sales voices for 2021. Uh, he, if you're a seller or a marketer, you want to write better sales emails, um, then you might want to, or you might have guessed who he is. Um, he calls himself the email guy. So first off, I'm going to let him introduce himself. Hey, Charlotte. How are you? Um, I'm, I'm Will Allred. I'm one of the co-founders at a company you may have heard of called Lavender. We help sales reps write better emails and we help them do it faster. Fantastic. And Will, as well as a sort of working at Lavender and helping people write emails faster, he also likes to climb mountains. He went up Mount Rainier not so long ago. And... I've been wanting to get him on the show for a long time. When I approached him, I thought, I can't, I, I have to send him an email, but it has to be a very well-crafted email. So this is what I sent him. I'm going to read it out. It took me a while to put together. Um, if you want to be an email pro, don't be like that Lavender Joe. Two words in the subject line and your open rates will increase just fine. To ensure your emails get marked arrived, make the trigger and content personalized. Short and sweet, 50 to 125 words, so your emails don't come across as absurd. If you're gonna nail more sales, don't drink too many lavender cocktails. If you go and install lavender, you'll book more meetings on your calendar. So Will, we sense it will be a blast if you decide to come on our podcast. With an audience of AEs and SDRs, your guest appearance will make lavender the star. We'll ensure your show is sparkling when you come on Simply Sells and Marketing. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, round of applause, I think. <laughs> and that was, a, that was well, 125 well done. Well done. Oh, my. That's amazing. How, how many words was that, Charlotte? 125. So now, based on your sort of latest, the, the, Lavender's sort of come up with a... Um, the, the emails that get open now are 25 to 50 words. Do you want to talk us sort of through that? Um, I know, you know, you, there's a lot of things that you you say, you know, if you can't tweet it, delete it. And, you know, when you're sending an email as a seller, people read emails to categorize rather than to comprehend. So do you, do you want to walk us through sort of the perfect email? And I know we're going to deep dive into one of my emails in a moment. So, so take us through that, Will. Yeah. First things first, going through the email that you wrote, you know, you, you've been a subscriber to my newsletter for a long time, right? And so I think one of the things that you've probably seen is a lot of these trends shift and change over time. Um, right now, we're experiencing a similar uh, behavioral shift that we saw in 2020, where we're entering a quote-unquote recession. I think at this point, we've talked it into existence, right? Um, yeah. and, and what's happening is a lot more outbound is going out the door. And we saw this exact same trend at the start of 2020. Um, the interesting thing that happened is as the amount of email went up, the length of those emails that got responses went down. Right. And that coordinates back to how people use their inbox. It's essentially a glorified to-do list. Right. And so when you think about it as a to-do list, it's a lot harder to check items off the to-do list when more things are being added to it per day. So looking at that as a, um, 
you know, macro trend, you know, we're looking at inbound funnels drying up for a lot of teams and we're seeing their managers and teams leaning on a lot more volume to get more emails out the door. And we're seeing a very similar trend shift again. So when we first started Lavender, you could write up to 250 words in a cold email and still get a response. That shifted and it went down to like 125 being the optimal. That's now shifted again. And really after like the 75 word mark, your chance of getting a response just really starts to fall off. Now, you write somebody a poem, like that's a little bit different, right? Uh, <laughs> that's a bit of a pattern break. And it's interesting because there was earlier this year, we saw this like interesting uh, uptick with a longer email within our data set. So what you would see is like, you'd either go really short or like your third best option was to be like long and thoughtful. That's gone away now. So that's like, that's dead gone. Um, and so RIP to the long and thoughtful email and long live the short and thoughtful email is sort of how I've been describing this new trend where really the best emails are somewhere between 25 to 50 words. Um, you see like a steep drop off after 75. Yeah, if I'm going to summarize up what makes for a really good email, it's an email that shows up and says, I understand your business. I also understand that this message needs to be understood, which means I've got about 10 seconds of reading time from you. And I need to put out some information in a short, clear manner. But I also need to understand that I don't know everything. And so I need to take a tone that showcases that there's some humility behind that research that I've done. And so it, it's really about showing up to really start a conversation, but with a clear point of view about where their business is at. Especially sort of looking at those, you say 10 seconds reading time and the tone, you know, humility. So using things like hedge words, like might, or I could be wrong, or that's interesting because as a seller, that would be, that almost goes against the instinct of, of selling, doesn't it? You, you don't want to sound doubtful. You want to come across as confident. So talk us through why, sort of showing a bit of humility and and doubt um, and using hedge words actually has a better sort of response rate. Yeah. So a lot of that mentality that seller, sellers have come from classic trainings where we're talking about what to do when you're really either face-to-face -face or voice-to-voice. -voice. And the thing that's missing in an email interaction is the social pressure that comes from there being another human being that you're interacting with. It's why it's the same thing like where people are keyboard warriors on the internet and they'll talk all sorts of trash, but as soon as they come up to your face, they're not going to be nearly as feisty, right? Um, the same thing holds true when you're writing an email. And so people have this sense of uh, reluctance. Uh, Josh Brown refers to it as this zone of resistance where you know, if you come across with a certain tone, it puts people off in a lot of different ways. And one of my favorite data points to point to, and it was really surprising when we saw it, was any sort of informative tone whatsoever reduces your chance of getting a response by about 26%, which you know that's one in four replies that you're missing out on. The way that comes across in your writing to the reader is they feel as though they're being talked at. 
they feel as though you're saying, you know, uh, a classic example is like, as you may know, the you know, B2B landscape has dramatically shifted over the past few years, right? You're sound, trying to sound credible. You're trying to sound informative. Um, the other way that it comes across is when you're just talking about yourself and news break, nobody really cares about you when it comes to your email <laughs> in my inbox, right? You're showing up in my to-do list, not necessarily yours. So that's really where that informative tone needs to be toned down. The unsure tentative tone, that's something that needs to be brought up to the surface, right? I mentioned that zone of resistance that somebody has. Well, if you come across as self-assured, it's a bit off-putting when you're by yourself reading on a screen, typically your phone, um, because, you know, your first instinct is like, who's this person and why do they think they know more than I do about myself and my business? So one of the things that I focus on is using conditional statements, using um, hedge words. If you're making assumptions about their business, you should probably hedge your bets, right? Um, and that means using terms like usually, typically, hey, this might, maybe, um, and the hedge, um, the hedge is a really powerful one. The conditional is another one, right? Because what you're setting up is an if-then statement. And what that does is it sets up logic within your conversation, but it's also a very tentative approach, right? Hey, if that's a priority right now, I'd love to like, tell you more. Um, you're just setting up conversation. Uh, one of my favorite conditionals is um, correct me if I'm wrong, right? So the if is if I'm wrong, the then is then correct me. But what it does is it just like puts everyone's guard down and it says like, hey, I might've gotten this completely off, but if I did like just jump in and correct me, I'm actually trying to understand here and trying to be a valuable resource. Brilliant. I think that is, um, it's so insightful. So, well, thank you. I think the info is is going to be really useful to our listeners, but also on the trends. It's so, it's so interesting because, you know, someone may have thought or heard or, you know, even knew that long form copy or long emails was working, but they're changing all the time, right? So you need to constantly be checking on what's working. Yeah. Yeah. It's something we stay on top of, right? We see millions of emails every month. And so we track these trends. Um, I remember I wrote one of my first newsletters. It was like number 13 was about Gong's research on long emails because Gong put out this idea that like long emails were good. They didn't exactly give all the facts and figures when they launched that. They were talking about follow-up emails uh, in particular. And what I thought was really interesting was, you know, at the time we actually saw some of that in our data. We saw that uptick with these long emails. And so I got to speak to that. That trend's changed. Um, that trend is now RIP. It's gone. Um, that little uptick that we used to see has evaporated. Um, I don't think it's that there's no place in sales for a thoughtful longer message. It's just, you have to start the conversation first, right? Yeah. Um, you have to get individuals to opt in and that that's a big mindset shift for sales, um, for sales to think about cold email as something different than I'm warming up a lead for me to call them. That's a classic thing I run into, um, to rethink this idea that a sales email is just about driving a conversion to a meeting, you know, 
when we think about outbound, the idea that we're trying to drive some conversion, it's, it's based off of this notion that they're ready to buy. Then in reality, most buyers aren't ready to buy. Now, I, I say that with like a caveat, right? If you've got really strong intent data, it might make sense to offer up some like strategic detail about what you're doing and try to push them forward because you have clues and a sense that there's actual intent there. Um, whereas for most buyers, they're not really thinking about it. They may not even be like fully aware that like this is a pain that's needing to be prioritized. And so when we show up and we just say like, hey, yeah, is this a priority for you? We're missing a huge portion of our audience that could be warmed up much more effectively. Instead of thinking of it as, is this a priority for you? AKA worth learning more. Um, Instead, trying to get to a conversation where you're saying, hey, could this become a priority? Yeah. And do you think a part of it is also that, you know, the more people gain insight and start to do it and it, you know, it becomes, I guess, the norm or what the majority of people have do. I mean, you mentioned pattern interrupters, pattern breakers, that you need to then do something different to stand out, you know, or like Charlotte, write a poem. Yeah. Uh, I see poems as like a really interesting way to stand out, right? Because you have to be super thoughtful with it. Um, And most sellers aren't going to sit there and and write a poem. Um, Most sellers aren't going to take the extra mile um, and do that extra little bit of work that's going to showcase to the person on the other end, like, hey, this is a thoughtful message that I'm trying to send to you. So, you know, I talk about best practices, fully aware that best practices are going to change. Patterns are going to change. And the reason they're going to change is because people like Charlotte are sitting there writing a poem. And what fascinates me, Will, is it seems to be changing so rapidly. What's the reason for that? (laughs) Well, your, your buyer's brain has evolved for millions of years to detect patterns so that they can avoid spending mental calories. And so they are pattern matching machines. And so as soon as like, I remember like the thoughts bump bubble of 20, uh, was it 2020 or 2021, where everybody was following up to their emails with thoughts, question mark. Um, a new one has emerged where it's just first name, question mark, which I, I, I'm like, you're missing the point of why you would bump an email. You're just like trying to tap into something. The problem is like these patterns will come and go. The things that won't come and go are like truly being thoughtful about the messaging that you're putting out there. Yeah. Uh, you know, actual having a valid reason for reaching out. I thought it was really interesting. I was on a panel for uh, Ambition's Peak Conference last week, time flies. And Ralph Barcy in one of our prep calls, he's the VP of Inside Sales over at Trey. Um, Butler Reigns, who's product lead over at Ambition, was asking him, what do you think are going to be the things that help sellers stand out in the selling environment right now? Like, I kid you not, I couldn't have like, I was like, wait, you took my answer, (laughs) (laughs) which was he said, the sellers that are going to stand out are the ones that are going to show up with like strong research. They've done the work and they have a clear point of view about the business that they're reaching out to. And they're doing it in a way that kickstarts a conversation. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but you know, essentially nailed those points where it's going to be the person that shows up and says, Hey, I understand where you're coming from. 
I have something that can really help you and help bring you forward. Yeah. Uh, and that's yeah. never going to go out of style. That's why I'm such a huge proponent of using frameworks as opposed to templates, right? Because templates, they reek of pattern. Whereas frameworks, when you break down each individual sentence and idea to showcase what you're trying to accomplish, it unlocks a layer of, oh, well, I could think about that a little bit differently. Or maybe I could move those building blocks around and reshape this entire email and run a test that way. I think A-B testing uh, for cold outbound email is really underrepresented, underthought about, undertalked about. Yep. Because we've always just viewed it as like this, oh, I changed the color of the button from blue to red. But in reality, it can be associated with testing ideas, testing structures, um, as well as testing individual words. Um, I love that. That's great. Because I, I talk a lot about process and template, but you're right. It's more the framework. And ultimately, you you can't nothing beats putting the effort in to take the time and you know understand your client and, and really tailor something to them yeah yeah and it's 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 interesting right because like you should know why you're making the change i feel like people just make the change or introduce the test thinking they'll figure it out from the results if you don't have some sort of preconceived hypothesis about what the test is going to show you you're not really thinking through the test enough you know, if you have option A and option B, and you don't have an idea of what C is going to look like as a result, that means you're probably not running a very smart test. Very valid point. So as we're marketing and sales alignment, obviously, Lavender is to help sellers write better cold emails, book meetings, or get responses and book meetings. But Lavender could be, it's not just for sellers. Can you talk us through sort of some of the other, like, how would it help you know, marketing teams, we talk a lot about marketing and sales alignment. Um, sort of talk us through what where you see marketing and sales alignment going and sort of how how Lavender can help with that. Yeah, it's, it's uh, I, I tell a lot of sales leaders that their sales reps would make fantastic marketing copywriters. <laughs> and it's they write marketing emails and then send them from their one-to-one account where sales and marketing can actually align is generating an understanding of what's an appropriate message to come from the marketing machine and what's an appropriate message to come from the sales machine. And when you think about that, it's it's impactful because sales should be sending a truly one-to-one email. It shouldn't be this scaled marketing message. Like, I just don't believe that. And it's not to say that some of the messaging can't quote unquote scale, Right. It's to say, if I'm reaching out to you, Charlotte, about an event, right, you would think that's a marketing driven message, but I can actually shoot a, you know, quote unquote scaled note that feels one to one. That's like, hey, Charlotte, I don't know if you saw the like email from marketing. We're hosting an event around um, sales copywriting. I'm making this up around sales copywriting, Um, you know, given the, you know, given what's going on within your industry and what we're hearing from other sales leaders around their email reply rates, I thought you'd enjoy inviting the team. Want me to send out some invites to your group, right? That feels like it came from an individual, but it could go to a ton of other people. 
um, versus, hey, Charlotte, um, this next Wednesday, I would like to cordially invite you to our email copywriting class. Um, you should bring your team. Here's all the things that we're going to cover, right? That just feels corporate. It feels, it's just not fun to like read on the other end, honestly. <laughs> yeah, and no, I mean, you made that point, that, that clear distinction there. It's like you, sending emails at scale, but feeling like it's sent to an individual rather than a lot of people. Um, definitely something that, uh, you know, and sellers, sellers can learn. I mean, I've been on a journey in the last two years since I changed roles and realized I wrote some terrible emails um, sort of, you know, within the last uh, of 10 years, I, I stayed in the same role. Uh, when I look back and reread them, I was like, how did I ever manage to send that? Um, so <laughs> a lot of your tips, obviously you've built a community as well. Lavender's built a community on LinkedIn, on TikTok, Josh, uh, William, and Will, uh, yourself and Dorothy. So you've created some sort of your excellent examples of how, you know, sort of bringing your brand to life, um, creating content on LinkedIn uh, regularly. So you've built up a huge uh, LinkedIn community, which has obviously helped you sort of leverage Lavender and also, um, you know, get Lavender out to to more sellers and marketers just by posting on on social media. Yeah, Charlotte, can I can I tell you a secret? Yeah. I used to be a terrible email writer. Like, <laughs> awful. awful. We started Lavender, and at the start of starting Lavender, like the messages I was sending out to try to pull on our first users were so cringeworthy. Now, I think of myself as really a case study in our own product, right? It shaped the way I'm thinking about writing, right? I'm leaning on the data. I'm leaning on frameworks to help guide my thinking. Um, so to say that like, anyone can't like become a great writer is, you know, it's just, it's wrong, right? It comes from reflection. It comes from training. It comes from, yeah, being able to see the data on the other end. Um, so when we think about content, we think about community, we think about, you know, what we share, it's truly based on, we're trying to help people become better writers in what they do. Yeah. I, I'm, I appreciate you picking up on that. Yeah. That's, that's great to hear. That'll probably give confidence to, to a lot of our listeners. We normally ask people what should stop in sales and marketing if it was down to them tomorrow. I mean, clearly you may say, you know, long, poor emails, but is there anything else that, that you'd like to, to stop? Uh, what would I like to stop? Do, how much time do I have? <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. I would stop sending links within your cold emails. They're not going to click them. Uh, I would stop allowing marketing to have access to your inbox to send emails. That drives me insane. Um, I would stop telling teams that volume is the only thing to focus on. Um yeah, I would also start telling teams to start thinking about instead of looking at your outbound as I pull a lead list, I you know find my ICP and then I start to just like fire emails off in a sequencer. I think that's a very dated thought process. Yeah. Instead, pull a list of accounts, map and plan those accounts, and then run a series of short, thoughtful sequences to above the line buyers and below the line buyers within that account. Um, that's like 
the future of outbound right now. Uh, our team's doing it and we're seeing, you know, well over one out of three emails getting a response. And the amount of pipeline that we've actually been able to generate has caused other problems in the business as a byproduct. Yeah, that's great. Do the sales still do that? Give their uh, access to marketers to their to their inbox? Yep. Um, figured that out the other day and the sales team wasn't even aware of it. Um, we went, oh, really? to, <laughs> yeah, we went to do a success call with a team that was onboarding and I was like, y'all, y'all know you sent 70,000 emails in the last 30 days. And they were like, excuse me, I can tell you that's not true. And then I was like, what's going on there? Like, let's, let's talk to, let's talk to marketing. Um, they came back and like, turns out marketing has access to our inboxes. This is wild. Wow. Well, it's just, <laughs> just like a mail merge. Yep. Massive. Uh, wow. Yeah. I mean, you think about it, you have this immensely powerful tool in sales loft and outreach where you can automate a lot of messaging and mm-hmm. some of those automation can be really good. They can save you a lot of time, but put into the wrong hands, thought about incorrectly and applied incorrectly. It's yeah, just as like, just as, or if not more dangerous than just not hitting send on an email at all. Yeah. And, and great points there and what should stop in sales and marketing. Totally agree with you. We ask all of our listeners for one tip that they could take away and implement right now. What's that going to be? Will. Okay, well, we've kind of covered writing shorter, simpler emails. Um, if you follow me on LinkedIn, like I got tons of tips there. Um, my tip would be more associated with cadence design and account strategy. Um, so I'm going to try to go with something a little bit novel and a little bit different for everybody. So when we think about an account. There's typically other people involved or could be involved within your prospecting, right? So I'm selling to a VP of finance, maybe the director of finance is actually the person that's going to implement it. So when we're thinking about cadence strategy, we're going to run a short, thoughtful cadence to that head of finance. But instead of ending the cadence, instead of breaking off that connection, what instead we're going to do is we're going to end the cadence at like the fourth email. And we're going to say, hey, would Robert, I'm going to use your name, for example, here. And we say, hey, Robert, um, would Charlotte be a better person to talk to about this? Um, you know, usually decision-making happens um, with someone in your role, but you know, at the end of the day, someone like Charlotte is probably going to be the person that is using our software daily. That's all you need to say. And then you go to Charlotte with the next email and you run a similar cadence, but it starts off with, hey, Charlotte, did Robert forward you my note? When you think about what that does is one, Robert likely forwarded you that note, but B, even if Robert didn't forward you that note, the message at the top of your inbox, Charlotte, is starting with the name Robert and you're going to be like, oh, what is that about? And you're going to open it. It's a really tactical thing that you could implement tomorrow. Um, Who knows? Might go out of style in like four months, but have a Love it. Definitely going to use that. One thing I'm curious on before we finish is... Do negative subject lines get more opened? So if you want no. to say like missing missing revenue or these are more generic subject lines. Because I always they don't. 
No, negatives or positives don't get uh, more or less opens. Um, it's actually the neutral sentiment uh, subjects that get more opens. So if I'm writing a subject line, there's two things I'm trying to accomplish. One, I am trying to avoid your mental spam filter, right? We talked about how your buyer is pre-categorizing a bunch of information. So if I um, shoot you an email and then the subject line, it says Charlotte, comma, missing revenue, question mark, right? Your brain is immediately firing off and saying like, that's a sales note. Um, <laughs> versus even if it just says missing revenue or um, better replies, right? It just feels gimmicky. Yeah, it feels salesy. Yeah, and using your name right in the subject line is no longer. Yes. If I see someone my name in the subject line, I think, oh, this is somebody telling something to me. <laughs> yeah, um, and if you think about why, right, it's it's stuff that only marketers do. Um, and so we we've actually seen the data on this where using that first name is going to reduce your chance of getting a reply by about twenty percent. Um, so wow. it's these simple things that you can adjust that really change what happens on the other end. Um, so if I'm rewriting a subject line, what am I trying to accomplish? I'm trying to accomplish missing that mental spam filter, right? That pre-categorization. Um, and so the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to write something pretty boring. Um, I'm going to write something that almost feels internal. Um, it's my framework on this. I refer to it as internal camouflage. But the other thing I'm trying to do is I'm just trying to tell you what the email's about, which is the original goal of what a subject line is for anyways. Um, it's not to pique this curiosity. I think we overthink subject lines a bit too much. And as a byproduct, we come up with these like weird spammy feeling uh, messages. And so if I'm writing a cold email, it's going to be something like template revision, um, personalization question, new onboarding email issue, right? Where it feels like an internal message, but that's going to be the topic of my note. Right. And you could take that in a wrong direction and you could be, um, you can deceive the reader. And what you'll find is you'll see a spike in opens, but you'll see a decrease in replies. Um, yeah. And like, that's not the goal of this. The goal is actually to have an efficient ratio of opens to replies. So, like, I can get my open rates above 90%. But what I've found is when I do that, I'm actually hurting my chance of getting more response. And so instead, I'm happy at like a 70% reply rate or a 70% open rate, 70% um, reply rate would be great. Um, but like, you know, over 25% reply rate um, as opposed to a sub 10% reply rate and a 90% open rate. Wow. wow. This is maybe this is like gold dust. We could, we could keep going. I also have a, I, we keep meaning to end, but I've also a very quick question. How a slightly technical one, how have you guys dealt with, and has there been an issue in terms of opens and the whole, Apple not recording and, you know, yeah. how's that affected? I mean, that's been an issue in sales for longer than Apple. Um, you know, Outlook, for example, doesn't open images on default. And so a lot of open trackers won't open if you're selling into like the enterprise. And so it's not something that's necessarily net new. Uh, I really like the way Jesse Ouellette talks about this, where he refers to open rates as a diagnostic tool. It's not something that you usually be optimizing for because on one hand, it's like, great, they opened it, but did they respond, right? Um, on the other hand, it's a great diagnostic tool in the sense of if you're seeing your like open rates fall off the face of the earth, 
Well, it's either a sign that you're going after a net new market that is, um, you know, using Outlook or Apple Mail more, or it's a sign that, um, you know, your rate of delivery within the primary inbox has fallen off, which means you might be doing something wrong on a technical basis to actually land in the inbox, in which case it's a good time to go check out your deliverability. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm not a fan of like, I know people like it um, and I get why, but I'm, I'm truly not a fan of tracking opens. I turn, I turn it off. I get, depends anything from a 40 to 60% open rate at the moment. That's not bad. But I still yeah. need to work on my emails because sometimes. Yeah. 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 You'll hear people, you'll hear people be like, Oh, like you could be doing better this, that, or the other, but like, I would, be more focused on your reply rates and like where those are sitting at. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh, it's been such a great episode. We definitely want to have you on again when we go to video. That's our plan for the future. Um, so tell our listeners, Will, where they can find you. LinkedIn is probably the best place to find me. You can subscribe to my newsletter like you have yeah. uh, and shoot me a DM. I can't promise I'll be timely with responding to my DMs. I've officially... Uh, lost control of my LinkedIn DMs. Um, I bet. So, you've got like a thousand followers in 24 hours, right? Or less. Yeah, I've lost control. Um, <laughs> so if you email me, it's just first name, that last name at lavender.ai. I'm happy to have a conversation there as well. So hopefully I don't lose control of that inbox as well. <laughs> then our next conversation can be about, our next conversation can be about inbox management. <laughs> And shout out to the rest of the team, um, to William, Josh, and Dorothy. Um, great team, great content they're putting out on LinkedIn. So, so go and give them all a follow. And um, to our listeners, don't be shy. Leave us a review, give us some feedback, and we'll see you on the next show.